0: Because this job is also being a leader and a salesperson and a comedian that can go into a room with six strangers in suits and ultimately say, Hey, I'm here to convince you to give me 44 million dollars to make a TV show, even though I've never done it before.
1: You're listening to the TV Campfire, presented by ATX Television Festival.
2: Hi guys, I'm Caitlin, and I'm Emily. And we're the co-founders of ATX Television Festival. And as you're listening to this, we are probably
1: running around setting up, meeting with volunteers and venues, potentially greeting panelists who are
2: arriving early. Uh, Let's be honest, you're probably setting up the green room. Yes, yes, that is is accurate. This is all because tomorrow... ATX Television Festival Season 7 begins. And every Wednesday, the evening before everyone
1: actually arrives, Emily and I and our core staff get together. We have pizza, we take a moment of calm, and we really just enjoy the fact that this thing that we've planned for an entire year is coming together again and get really excited for everyone
2: to arrive. Our next guests were at the very first festival six years ago. Bill Lawrence and Friends, which was a mixture of Cougartown and Scrubs people. Kevin was there on that panel, and it was just, it was such a great first group <laughs> I remember guests. the morning of the first festival, him calling you and saying, well, we're getting on the plane, and we were like, who, who all is we? Who's all getting on the plane? Truly,
1: the festival was starting. He had an hour of programming called Bill Lawrence and Friends, and we had no idea who the friends were. We had no idea when they were arriving. We weren't even sure if they were actually gonna show up. They did. The other thing that this episode makes me think about is our first gigs and big breaks. What was your big break? My big break was definitely meeting Betty Thomas, who I interned for. She's an actress and director. Was on Hill Street Blues and did Twenty Eight Days with Sandra Bullock and John Tucker Must Die, amongst many, many other things. And then she was my first job, which is where we met. So on the Fox lot, Emily and I were assistants. And one of my first, like the first week there, Emily invited me out to lunch, and we started to become friends that year. But the reason I feel like that's the big break is not only was Betty the first internship to the first job that made me meet my future business partner, she stayed in my life to then become the first advisory board member and the first person we pitched the festival to. Without her, I don't see getting to all of those places, including creating the festival.
2: My first internship was on the Fox lot, as you just said, with the vice president of feature film finance at 20th Century Fox, which is the joke in my family because I made a D in finance in college. But my boss was amazing, and he told me, knowing finance was not my future, that I should be taking all the other assistants to lunch because those were the people I was going to be rising through the ranks with. These were the people that I needed to get to know and form relationships with. And so that led me to asking every assistant that I talked to if they wanted to go to lunch, which led to our first lunch.
1: Pull up a log, pour yourself a drink, start roasting
2: that marshmallow. And settle in for First Gig's Big Breaks.
0: Hey, I'm Bill Lawrence. I uh, wrote on the show Billy, and I wrote on the show Nanny for two weeks
3: before I got fired, and, and I did other shows as well. And uh, I'm Kevin Beagle, and uh, I was fired from South Park. I got coffee for Pete Farrelly for a couple years, and then Bill and I created uh, Cougar Town together. And I wrote with Bill on Scrubs, and then I, I did a show uh, that really burned the barn down at Fox called Enlisted, that lasted for about two seconds. I really liked Enlisted. Thank I just you. Want to say that. And uh, but
0: if we're doing the game, I also got fired from Friends. I wrote the first year of Friends. A good one. I got fired from that show. And I got. I got oh, go, right, you go no,
3: first. No, I was gonna say I got fired from CAA.
0: That's, that's true. I yeah. got fired from Boy Meets World. That's pretty good, but I want it known that the, uh, go back and look. The character Topanga is named Topanga Lawrence, and the first episode she was in was one that I wrote. What's up? All right.
3: This is so stupid. Well, it's not stupid. I'm proud of it. When I was a kid, I was like, I want to be an astronaut. That was the whole thing. And we went to Florida, moved to Florida. My daddy got transferred. And that was like literally my dream. My parents saved up and I went to space camp when I was like 12. And I was like on that path. Did you
0: really go to space camp? I did. Did was, you go to
3: somewhere they told you it was space that's camp? That's right. Yeah. They drove me to like an abandoned mall and there's like a cardboard box. I'm like, get on that. It's a simulator, where dummy. I'm like, this is amazing. Wear wow. this bucket. <laughs> Wear a bucket it? on your head. <laughs> wow. I'm in space. Everything's dark and I'm depressed. But and I, literally the moment where that, dream ended is that I was at a like an parents party like they were like Kevin's old enough to come to a parents party now so it was uh there's like this old German guy there I swear to God this is true and this is like the moment where one dream ended and the next dream started and my dad's like yeah this is my son Kevin he wants to be an astronaut when he grows up and the German guy took like the longest drag ever off a cigarette and just looked at me and goes you will never be an astronaut my dad's like oh well he's also you know he's built like a brick shithouse too so he can do other stuff and I was like that's supposed to make me feel better okay I think you better figure out some other dream but then then after that it was very quickly into like I want I wanted to write. It was never like in movies and stuff. It was literally just like I want to write books. I want to be a novelist. But like that whole, you know, I want to write stuff was uh, very quickly after that. The, the new dream.
0: You were when I first met you. You were already very, very driven. You didn't talk like somebody that just wanted to uh, be on a show. You talked to, like someone that wanted to go off and create stuff. Oh, cool. well, that's nice of you to say. Well, you I, lied. You lied about it? liking basketball. <laughs> well,
3: that is a, yeah. I agent, did.
0: Agents had told P- him that the way to get in with me was say he played basketball. <laughs> <laughs> but there's nobody worse at basketball than Kevin Beagle. No, he's a good athlete, but he's not a basketball player.
3: You know that movie Blade, where like Blade can like walk during the day, and he can also play with the vampires. Like I, I look like I can play basketball, but I, but I'm just a giant nerd. Like that guy must be into sports. I'm like, yeah, I can dribble. Like I can't do anything.
0: Uh, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a stand-up comic very badly. I still. Entertain fantasies about that. I'm unwilling to acknowledge that it's ever uh, ha- not going to happen.
3: Bill's but, funny. Bill's done stand up like with other comedians and stuff. Like re- like for um, uh, Undateable, he went on a tour and like, he like uh, got I, in I, front I, of
0: thousands of people. Uh, I did, but I was I was not good. It, it was like it was like Space Camp. <laughs>
1: yeah. Okay, okay. You put a bucket <laughs> on your head in yeah. a cardboard box. <laughs> I was literally
3: as much
0: of a comic <laughs> as you were an astronaut. I came out here after college. I was very lucky. A friend of my mom's, well, not a friend. My mom is an auctioneer, and she met this guy named Norman. Barish, who used to write for the old Dick Van Dyke show, and he read a bunch of stupid stuff I wrote and said, "This you write good dialogue, you should go out and uh, try to be a comedy writer. And I'd always loved TV. My idol to this day is a guy named Larry Gelbart, who is one of the only guys to get nominated for an Emmy, a Tony, and an Oscar. He wrote Tootsie. He created M.A.S.H., He did City of Angels on Broadway, and a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, and he's just a a monster. He passed away. Uh, Also, not a lot of people know this. One of his weird claims to fame, he was the original creator of Three's Company, uh, one of them, yes, and removed himself from it because he thought it was goofy. Stop. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Well, this isn't going anywhere. It's somewhere else. Um, But,
0: anyways, he was super cool. I have like my most prized possession is uh, he signed a DVD box set of MASH uh, t- and with a note about keeping the tradition of hospital sh- comedies going, since he didn't think anybody was making any more uh, medical comedies. I
3: was there when you got that I was gift. giddy. Yeah. It was so funny. Bill was like a little kid <laughs> and as much as like all it was in the scrubs writers room and and as much as we were like oh, we're so, look how happy Bill is. You could tell because <laughs> one of the writers gave it to Bill. You could tell all the other writers were like motherfucker, my present sucks <laughs> compared to that. <laughs> That's probably, I got you a t-shirt. Uh, everybody, everybody else is like, "Hey, here's a
0: here's a funny uh, whimsical joke that I got you for Christmas." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm busy over here making sure this guy works forever. Yeah,
3: here's something um, you'll never forget." <laughs>
0: You know, Kevin, I knew you were always, like, big time into movies. You were a movie nerd when I first met you, but what was... Uh, Not
3: like, anymore. Look at this cool, suave guy in front of you right I now. I know, but you know what I mean. You're, <laughs> oh, you're, I wouldn't say you were a hipster.
0: You weren't a hipster. You were the, my yeah. favorite version of a movie geek. Totally. But yeah. TV-wise, I know you're into it. What were your, like, kind of iconic and TV moments when
3: you were a kid? It's weird. I watched... It was... It was, it was A little different, I think, because TV was kind of a babysitter to me growing up. Like, I had a mom, but mom was a teacher, and my dad was a banker, um, and I was the oldest of, like, uh, three kids, so... It was very much. I kind of got free reign a little bit at home to like put TV on and like you know settle the fan, settle the kids down as mom makes dinner. And the first shows I loved watching were like I Love Lucy. I, like that show, I watched it nonstop. You as know, a Ron kid.
0: Funches, who was on enlisted for Kevin on a show for me. That's his favorite TV show. Is still. it really? Oh, I didn't she's know that. A, she's his idol, and he watches it uh, all the time.
3: It's and it's crazy because I think I absorbed more of that than I even realized. Because when the, even to this day, if I see a repeat of that, I still I know the jokes that are coming. and I know it's going to happen. I'm like, oh, this is the one. Where the apartment's so packed with boxes and the whole thing is a set piece of trying to get through the box, like it's like ingrained in my head. And then the other one that I didn't even realize that I'd watched until years later I was like, oh my god, I mainlined this was was like everyone else was Brady Bunch. Like I saw Brady Bunch a ton. And then the, like the, the kind of the third part of that triangle because of my dad was Cheers. It's like he that was the one adult show he would let me stay up and watch with him. So um, so good. It's amazing. And then the, the other the last one, which is so random and known people still was they're so called the Mandrell Sisters. <laughs> <laughs> was the farmer man our two sisters, it and it was amazing. a music variety show, and they yeah. did sketches. No, and I'm great. like, this show is great. And it was like – that one's kind of like my little thing because no one remembers it. Well, because you made it up in your head. I did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when it has a bucket on my head. That was never on TV. Well, what about you, Bill? What were the um, shows that
0: influenced you as a kid? Well, look, uh, Kevin, one of the things that always struck me about him, and the two of us were TV encyclopedias, I watched everything. And one of my favorite things – I was a big MASH guy, big Wonder Years guy You know, uh, mm-hmm. when I was a little older. But, you know, because I always say I, I stole those two shows and The Simpsons to make scrubs, I always took such weird pleasure in finding television shows that my friends hadn't seen yet, yeah. you know, and uh, I mean, I watched everything like you did. My favorite version of that was, I used to, there was a, D, a thing called VCRs back there for <laughs> all you ATX fans, um, and they were... Uh, These machines that would record television shows and they were about the size of a microwave. And I used to VCR this show called The Seinfeld Chronicles. Yeah! Uh, And because it was and that's what Seinfeld was originally called for those of you who don't know it. And he was one of my favorite comics because he was into stand-up and there was three stand-up segments for the first uh, year and a half of that show. And before we went out and drank beers at the horse trails, I would make my annoyed jockey friends sit and watch an episode (laughs) of The Seinfeld Chronicles and try to
3: explain to them
0: why it was kind of reinventing the sitcom. And no one cared
3: that's amazing because I, I never knew that. And the, the, I had so I was in I think it was a sophomore in high school. And this the, you know like you have like if you're, you're if you're fortunate enough you either have like an older brother or like a cool friend who like introduces you to stuff that you never would have seen. I had this friend Ashley and she goes I have this tape for you. You got to watch. it. Kevin
0: was obviously in love with Ashley.
3: I was. It's it. She's like, <laughs> Ashley Green. If you're out there, you're like the coolest girl ever. Thank you for everything you did for me. And she gave me a tape and it was a hastily put together, edited together. It was it was Seinfeld and it was like 20 episodes of Seinfeld and like, like, I'd never even heard of it. And people these days is like, how could you not hear of Seinfeld when it came out? No one knew about it. The like, second, was second season,
0: like, Seinfeld was only picked up for four episodes. Oh, was it? And yeah. so Smallest I, pickup ever.
3: It was the same thing as you. That's so funny. We, it was watching uh, a, D, a VHS of Seinfeld, episodes back to back to back going, this show is amazing. Where do I find it? Yeah. And then after the fact, and then show my little brother, and like he's a little too young to get it. But like my dad eventually was like, what are you watching? I'm like, my friend Ashley gave me this tape. <laughs> it was crazy.
0: Both Kevin and I are the types of people, I think you are too, that have... Have too many favorite shows to list yeah. uh, just a few, but and then the other thing that really influenced me, which I hope is d- does not make me seem too much older than Kevin, he's much younger than I am. Is my friends and I before we would go out and drink beers used to watch I had this amazing collection of original Bugs Bunny cartoons. Oh my god! And people don't realize it, but the original Bugs Bunny you can't see it anymore because it's all been edited by PC police. It was very adult friendly, mm-hmm. and like one of my favorite ones.
3: Bugs uh, gets an abortion. That well, one was, that was tough. Yeah.
0: Well, that was but, that, that was by the way that was hard to deal with, but yeah. still you learned a lot. Yeah. The, but uh, no, but on the same on the same topic, I remember this cause as a little kid, and I watched it and Daffy Duck and and Bugs are hiding from our FUD and Bugs says check uh, check to see if he's still out there and Daffy sticks his head up and you hear a gunshot and he comes back down you know and his beak's on backwards <laughs> and he says uh, he's like still lurking about and then Bugs' buddy goes hey what you need to do is go that way go up behind him and then Daffy Duck interrupts him and goes no more for me thanks I'm driving and then he passes out and by the way which is a very just graphic drinking and driving joke yeah. for children Jesus. Yeah, and uh, I remember being a kid going to my dad who was a laughing going what's funny about that my dad's like don't worry about it um I'm interested in because here's how, here's by the way one of the cool things that you remember when you worked with people is how their agents first kind of presented them to you and one of the stories I first heard about Kevin was that he was a giant movie nerd writing you know kind of reviews uh, about movies and different stuff out there in the in the world for ain't it cool news and then I had was really fascinated by how he just went from that and clicked into being a TV writer. It happened really fast. How did that ever happen,
3: man? It was crazy. It was it, it was one of those things where it, it doesn't seem real. And I, I, I'm very I'm the most blessed, luckiest person in the universe. First off, because this is it's it, this this one incident not only led to uh, me coming out here and me having a career. It literally also led to uh, meeting my wife, which is, who's the you know mother of so children. So good and bad. Good and bad. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trisha, that was a joke. Bad, I love this you. Is awesome and Abby and Hattie. Yeah. Hi girls. Uh, you're not listening to this cause uh, I say fuck a lot in this. Uh, so I was writing for ain't It cool and this is back in 19, uh, I graduated college in 98. So in like 97, 98, right when ain't it cool and ain't it cool used to be this website where people would send in reviews of films before they came out. And it was kind of the first big breaking movie story site and movie gossipy thing. But a lot of it was just like writing about film. So it's like, I'd see a movie a month before it came out and write about it. Cause I was writing for the paper. So randomly I'm walking through campus senior year and I just happen to turn to my right and on a lamppost, there's a flyer that says, uh, Hollywood movie screening tonight, not released yet, come and see it, you know, test screening I'm like, that sounds like fun, so I went to it and it was in the bottom of, uh, of a basement of a, um, a building and it was the Farrelly brothers and they were showing an early, early cut of There's Something About Mary, like no one had heard about it Oh man, you must it, have died laughing it, it. It, it was crazy because because it was, first off the movie was very different, like the cut was very different there was all these different side plots and like there was a whole Jeffrey Tambor being a drug addict uh, story that was like, and it was just kind of weird but it was still really funny and I guess the Farrellys, i not guess because I ended up working for Those guys would just take VHS tapes back in the day around to college campuses in New England and screen it for kids outside of the studio testing system because they wanted to do it like man-to-man, person-to-person, man-to-woman, whatever. So I saw the movie. Uh, A month after that, uh, I was like, hey, I'll write a review of that thing. And I write this like... 10 page, like, who the hell am I to say this? Like, he goes, I'm a movie nerd. I know everything. Like, here's what you should change about your movie cut this, change this, lose this joke. What if you tighten this scene and do this? Like, basically, like, well, who is this kid? So the next morning, I wake up and my phone rings in my dorm and it's, uh, he goes, Who, who is, this? is this? Is this Kevin Beagle? And I was like, Yeah, who is this? I was like, It's Pete Fairley. And I was like, I don't know who this is. that, is. by the way? I, that I, is I, a good impression. I, I want to do a yeah. sidebar.
0: That's that's not just him doing a cartoon voice. It's a fairly solid Peter It's Pretty Fairley good, voice. Yeah.
3: yeah. I don't talk like that, Kevin. I talk like this. And I was like, No, really? <laughs> So he's like, "We're you got us in trouble?" And I was like, "What did I do?" And I'm, I'm like, first off, who are you, and what did I do?" And he goes, "Well, he goes, basically the cut of the film that they had been rallying Fox to, to release was the exact like to the note exactly what I had written." And the guy who was the head of the studio at the time, this guy Bill Mechanic, called Pete into his office and said, "You can't be planting reviews online and pretending you're somebody else because that's horseshit." And he's like, "Pete's like, this is fucking incredible. It's just what we want to do. So do you want a job?" And I'm like, "Well, I just woke up and I'm hungover. Well, what's going on right now?" Are you still in college? We got college? I was in college. I was a senior in college. And I was like, I had these dreams of going to New York to write for a magazine, which I say, but I, I hadn't put any of that into effect. And so i had written like two stories for a magazine in, in college about like, you know, you know, avocados. Cool. Like that level of bullshit. So he's like, you want to come out here after your college? And, and you know, we're starting a company and, and you seem you seem cool and you're in Boston. I was like, sure. So I had this hazy idea that I would go to Hollywood after college and, and get a job working in the entertainment industry. So I got out here in ninety uh, nine. I still still regret this. I got here a week too late because Pete's like I tried to call you. we were at Carrie Fisher's birthday last night. We were going to invite you. I'm like, oh my fucking god, what's happening to my life right now?
0: And you're much cooler than me. I thought you were a nerd, man. I, I am a
3: nerd. No, no, no. That. So what happened was Pete. I was Pete's assistant on uh, me, myself, and Irene. It's this movie with Jim Carrey that came out in '99. And uh, during the course of that movie, near the end of it, Pete's like, so what are you going to do after this? And it literally, as we were sitting at a bar having a drink, and I was like, and in my head, I'm like, I'm going to work for you forever, right? And right as I was about to go, uh, like his friend came up and. Said, said, Hey Pete, and pulled him away. So I was like, what am I going to do after this? I don't know. And I love those guys. And they kind of have a a cadre of people that stick with them and keep working with them forever. Right. And part of the the thing that's benefited me, but also the thing that's totally gotten in my way is I have this like big thing in my head. I'm like, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to show everybody I can do it myself. So I was like, Pete, I want to write. I'm going to pursue that thing. He's like, okay, good. You're funny. Good luck. And then it was like four years of going from Hollywood is easy to, uh, waking up every morning in a crappy apartment, writing all day, not having a job, like, trying to did get you have money anywhere. to do anywhere. stuff for work? Oh, my God. I, I Every menial job in town you can think of I did for four years, and I wrote the entire time, so I'd write whenever I could, but I was also, like, working at, like, you know, call centers and stuff, and data entry places, and I remember, like, I went to a nanny thing at one point, and I, and I was like, I can't,
0: I, I was a you graduate. had to pause to do, this is something that is impressive about Kevin that I keep telling everybody, if you're out in L.A. or New York or wherever, and you say you're a writer, if you actually on a daily basis write stuff you've immediately catapulted ahead of uh
3: approximately 93% of the people that say they're writers. It really is crazy. I mean, it's it, it's so easy to say it, but to do it. I'm Bill always Anybody makes fun of me. Say they're a writer. Bill always makes fun of me because like I actually love the act of writing. Oh man, it's horrible. I'm the I know I'm the weird well, one. I don't
0: make fun of Kevin. I just like I just feel you're lying cuz nobody, I know. nobody <laughs> likes it's <that's> different. <laughs> but nobody it was, likes to write that's a it's a fake statement. But, <laughs> I mean, sociopaths too.
3: I am a so, I think I am a little I mean, sociopath, sociopath.
0: People like to sit around by themselves and write stuff. It's fun to have written something that is and the to best. show people something. Yeah. Yeah. and go, I'm a genius. Look at this. This is great. But actually writing is like saying like, Hey, I, I, you know, I, I'm not like you. I like going to the dentist. It's fun. I, um, <laughs> I'm going to make an actual uh, relevant point. Cause it was something I was arguing about with uh, somebody else right before I got here, Kevin and I both, everybody that's made it in any way, shape or form into you. Like there's a lot of nepotism out here. You have to have a friend or somebody get you in a door, but nobody is looking to do anybody any favors if they suck you can't stay in the game unless you have some talent and work really hard. But the fact that even very look, Kevin and I both look like guys that could be dropped white men that could be dropped into Connecticut or Florida or any of the places that we talk about and uh, immediately look like everybody else that lives there. And so (laughs) if it was hard for us, how hard it is for back then for me, I'm much older than Kevin is for young women or for anybody of any diversity to break in, it's uh, it's maddening, you know? And one of the reasons, I was I was late today and Kevin was nice about it instead of mean about it. And right when we <laughs> saw each other, he hugged me and gave me the bathroom key, so that's our relationship. Uh, but I was meeting with a young black writer who, you know, it's like, even as Kevin and I tell these stories of everybody remembering and embracing the struggle, man, it's uh, it's uh, it's changing, but it's tough out there. So the, the big piece of advice and the commonality I always see when talking to people like Kevin or even thinking about my own stuff is that This town, the successful people are generally people that come here. And uh, can't imagine doing anything else, and are willing to, whether it happens quick or in five or six or seven years, are talented, but they're willing to grind away at uh, just horrific, nasty jobs yeah. until someone takes a chance on them.
3: It is. It's. I mean, it's, I think it's. It's so true. Because the, the first piece of advice I got when I got out here that from from the Fairleys, and he goes, look, he goes, tell people you like writing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretend you like sports. Pretend you like writing.
0: Even if you're on a podcast and someone's trying to get you to come clean, just never. Waver about your fake love for rice. I swear I love it so much.
3: But no, he. Pete said he goes. Look, this is so hard. He goes. The people that make it are the ones that stick with it. And he goes. Think it's so hard. So many people give up. And like Bill said, we are so damn lucky that we don't have to to deal with the struggle that people who don't look like us have to deal with. Because it's it's it is. And I think one of the duties that we've got, and I know Bill feels this too, is like we've been lucky enough and worked hard enough. Because I think they go hand in hand to get to a certain position. And now it's our turn to kind of pay it forward a little bit by like helping people and saying, okay, like I'm here, how can I help bring you up and give you a chance just like other people give well, us a chance? You everybody
0: know? is somebody's first mentor, or does somebody solid, or gets them into a door. You know, every, everybody yeah. here has an experience. My first job was uh, weird and funny, I hope, because I um, I loved the show that I talked about before, the Seinfeld Chronicles. And when I came out, I had a shitty apartment, and I painted houses, and uh, I used to write scripts. And uh, across from me, there was a building that Neil Simon used as his office. Oh, wow. And so I used to leave scripts uh, on his car, and then uh, they would always be out <laughs> in the street at the end of the day. So just, yeah, I don't care. I thought it was God. kind of funny. It's like a scene from a movie. The cool thing was uh, this mentor I had, Norman Barish, just older guy that wrote for the Dick Van Dyke show, he, he's like, I haven't been in Hollywood in 20 plus years, but my old agents used to be these guys, George Shapiro and Howard West. And then I was watching Seinfeld. And at the end, it said executive produced by George Shapiro and Howard West. And uh, they were managers. They're Jerry's manager and Andy Kaufman's manager. Danny DeVito played one of my managers in that movie, Man on the Moon, because he was Andy Kaufman's manager. I used that connection and mailed them like six, I mailed them a note that said, if you read these six scripts and consider me as a client, uh, I promise never to bother you again. And I dropped Norman Barish's name. And and uh,
3: six scripts? Yeah, yeah. That's but i
0: have been out there for like two years, nothing yet, yeah. yeah, you know? And, uh, and then I got a note back a week later uh, from Howard West, and he said, Hey, there's some potential here, but, you know, we deal with people at a much higher level. And, you know, thanks for uh, thinking of us. And so I wrote two more scripts, and I mailed them to Howard, and I'm like, All right, if you read these two, hmm. I really promise to never bother you again. And that cracked him in. Cracked him in, cracked him up. So he uh, cracked him in a new thing that old people are saying. Um, hey, did you hear that thing that uh, Kevin said at that pot? Yeah, totally cracked me <laughs> in.
3: Cracked me in a can of Pringles. Come <laughs> on.
0: But uh, it, crack- it cracked Howard up, but he brought me in. And this is true. This is like the Hollywood lore type thing. He brought me in on a Friday... Uh, to their offices and signed me as a client. And on Monday, I was a staff writer on this show called Billy. Um, And uh, I literally, you know, they were looking for a staff writer, and uh, he got me the job over the weekend. And I was such a neophyte that when I got to Billy... Uh, you know, I had no money. Every day, the PAs would come by your office and say, what do you want for lunch? And I would always be like, I'm cool. And then I would go into the, uh, you know, the little snack room and uh, have 11 bowls of cereal. And then finally, (laughs) finally, on the fifth day of work there, I, the PA came by, what do you want for lunch? And I'm like, I'm cool. And then the executive producer came in and goes, hey, asshole, we pay for the food. I'm like, oh man, I will have nine cheeseburgers (laughs) and like a bowl of spaghetti and, meatballs to go like immediately
3: <laughs> i had that i had that exact moment on scrubs and i, I remember cuz scrubs was awesome like for a million different reasons but at one point there was like there's catering you know, like the catering truck. And <laughs> it, was <a> t- <laughs> it was the first season. I don't know if I've ever told you this because it was so damn embarrassing. There was They had lobster one day. I was like, this is the best. So, I Oh, got, yeah. Randall used to get like lobster
0: Fridays once in yeah. a while and stuff.
3: Yeah, I get lobster. Like, oh, my God. That's pretty good lobster. I go back again. I get another lobster tail. I was like, this is pretty good. I think I can go for round three. I got another lobster tail. So I've got three in me now. I go back again. And the, and like I got cut off by the catering chef. So like, come <laughs> like, Other like, like, like people buff. have to eat, too, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, like... got, you got cut off from
0: lobster. <laughs> from lobster That's dang. funny, man.
3: That's ridiculous. Oh, I'm an idiot.
0: My only other memory of my first gig, Billy, it was a show. It was a spinoff of Head of the Class starring Billy Connolly. And I think it got on TV eventually. It didn't work, but no one ever really saw it. And is the first time I got in trouble with an executive producer. You know, they gave us, the cast and crew, these gifts. I gave mine back. I didn't want it. And... It offended him, but to my credit, the cast and crew gift was a, a jean jacket that said uh, Billy on the pocket, and it had a heart over the eye. And uh, I'm like, dude, no one's seen this show, and that's my name. I'm like, I can't, I can't wear a jean jacket around that says my name on the pocket with a heart over the You're
1: branding eye. Branding
0: yourself. <laughs> hey, have you guys met Billy, he's a little it's right quirky. Here in my he's a little weird. He wears jean. He wears a lot of jean jackets with his name on it.
3: You can meet girls at bars like, hi, my name is, and you just point your. Pocket. Uh, my
0: first uh, many, many mistakes with uh, people that run shows. All right.
1: Finding the right pair of jeans is potentially the bane of all of our existence. Men and women, you want to find the right cut. you don't want to break the bank, you need something that lasts. Well, great jeans don't have to be complicated. Looking good at work or in life shouldn't cost you an entire paycheck. Why not make this process way simpler? All you have to do is go to distilled.com, D-S-T-L-D.com, and pick out some jeans that you think look good. Pick out a few pair. Why not? They'll ship them to you for free and give you free returns until you find the perfect pair. Get 20% off by using the code Campfire. No spaces, one word, TVCAMPFIRE at checkout. I've got a pair of the women's mid rise skinny jeans, the black ones, super stretchy, and they're the best. They make you look great. Really, what do you have to lose? DSTLD.com.
0: But it's uh, it's it's cool to get to talk about. I mean, Kevin will talk about his first kick. I think it was Tracy Morgan or something. Well,
3: no, I mean, no, you're a system, uh, well, it was So so the path the bill was really interesting for me because. I had finally, I spent two years literally pounding the pavement. Call, I had this it used to be this thing, a book called The Hollywood Creative Directory. Uh, right? With had a number of <laughs> every single office and every writer's thing. And that I would wait, go It's the, the
0: Hollywood Creative Directory for people who love writing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but
3: through,
0: it was it's like, like a handbook. Hey, if you want to make it out here, no, go no, pick no. that up.
3: It's like the you Thomas pick, guy, but yeah, yeah. for bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, here. You pick that up.
0: You put it in your pocket like Catcher in the Rye. Like, remember all those nerds that have no, Catcher no, in the Rye in their like pocket a, at college? It was like a phone you book. carry that thing around. People know you mean business, man. That
3: guy's got an HCD in his back pocket. Oh, my God. By the way, did you already play, initial it? Yeah, I did, yeah. Um, so, that, so basically, I had the phone number of every single production office in town, and I went through it every year, and I'd call, make hundreds of phone calls saying, hi, do you need a writer's assistant? Because I always works. heard, like, that's the best way to break in, to be a writer on a show. If like, this story ends assistant. up
0: working, it never works to cold call and ask for gigs. Go on.
3: It's true. It, 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 but I, I was young and dumb, and I was like, I, I'll do anything. So eventually, through the Fairleys, again, they knew a guy who was a writer who was going to get this show uh, picked up there called the Tracy Morgan show. This is the first Tracy Morgan show where he was like owned a garage and it was a multi-camera sitcom and David Israel and David Israel said, Hey, yeah, we need a writer's assistant. You know, he seemed like a good guy. And, and that was my first gig. And did and, they give you a script. Well, they didn't, but it was one of those things where it's like, I'm going, I, first off, I have this nice combination of being, uh, being learning. It took forever to learn to be confident, but also like being dumb. <laughs> so I was like, I'm just going to start pitching from day one. If they tell me to shut up, I'll shut up. Yeah. So from day one as writer's assistant, I started pitching jokes, and, and they really liked me, and it was great. Um, and the show was a grind, but like I was very thankful for it. Izzy basically handed my script in to uh, UTA, or no, at the time it was Broder, the agency. To his yeah, you a Broder. It was a Broder, yeah. yeah. And then uh, they said, hey, you're funny, you know? So I got a representation there. this guy, George, Josh Hornstock, was and it then, Josh?
0: I thought it was Mickey. It was Josh and it Was was Josh, yeah.
3: Okay. And then from there, I got I was a writer for two seconds on that show Granted for Life. But then off of that, I got my first gig gig, which doesn't really count because it never made it to the air. The show called Howard Stern, the high school years, which was gonna be <laughs> young animated Howard Stern and was a huge I'm still a huge Howard Stern fan, Bill is too. too. Yeah. So I was like, Oh my god, I get to talk to Howard Stern on the phone and write about his life. And it was but like we we wrote it in an old abandoned dentist's office deep in the valley. Like it never made it to the air because like it was it was pretty funny, but I think they could never figure out the animation style, but whatever. It's it was still like a first sort of paid writing gig. But so I'm kind of like sort of finding my footing and I still remember it. It was not that far from where we are downtown right now. I got a call one day from Josh Hornstock manager, and he goes, Sit down. And I'm like, I'm eating a taco. Like, what why do I have to sit down? He's like, just put the taco down, and sit down. And Trisha's like, What's wrong? I'm like, She doesn't talk like that. I'm sorry, honey. And I was like, I guess I have to sit down. Josh's got big news. He goes, Bill Lawrence wants to meet you. And I was like, Holy shit. Because I guess Bill was staffing for the show for the season five of Scrubs. What a huge meeting. <laughs> oh, no, it was amazing. So he goes, hey, so season five, is. I'm like, this is amazing. Kevin, my
0: biggest memory, the first time yeah. I met you, I think we met in, over, like, at the Coral Tree or oh, something yeah. in Brentwood. No,
3: we met at the tennis club. We're, oh, no, the Maple Maple Drive Tennis that's Club. That's right. Breakfast yeah. stuff. That's right. Yeah. You guys... <laughs> it should be interesting. What's
0: really interesting, no, this is uh, a compliment. I think... One of the things that separates even good writers from showrunners, not necessarily should it be this way, part of the job of creating TV shows and of being someone that gets to hire and fire people and ultimately be responsible for big budgets and not just be a writer, is a lot of comedy writers and writers are understandably socially awkward and always escaped into the written world, found, you know, found their way through things by... By writing, And the rare person is, because this job is also being a, a leader and a salesperson and um, somebody that can sell ideas and a comedian that can go into a room with six strangers in suits and bounce around and make them laugh and ultimately say, hey, I'm here to convince you to give me $44 million to make a TV show, even though I've never done it before. And those people are rare. And so my biggest memory well, my first memory is that uh, I'll never forgive Kevin for lying about his love <laughs> of basketball because the word had gotten out. I play. I still play basketball, and the word had obviously gotten out that it's easy to get hired by Bill if you're talented and he thinks you're going to be in his basketball game. That's not true. Are you going to be in my basketball game, but you don't necessarily get a job. But the
3: uh, I, I, I destroyed that rule.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the second thing was – uh, even as somebody that has self-described here himself is you know struggling to find a gig and not working, Kevin had this kind of passion and confidence. And I don't know if you guys have listened to the last three and a half hours of this podcast, but right. he, I did not have to sit there and pull things out of him and interview him. He just went at it. You know, and uh, talked about what he wanted to do, talked about what made him laugh, talked about how he got started. And it's a skill set I don't think a lot of people realize you have to have when you come out here is the ability to stand up in front of strangers and uh, tell them essentially why, you know, you should get to do what you've always wanted to do. It's why he's a a good showrunner now.
3: That's incredibly kind of you to say, man. That's true. Thank you.
0: One of the other experiences I remember that much is I co-created this show, Spin City, and the warm-up comic was this really personable stand up named Mike Royce hmm. after the first year of him doing all the warm up we had this policy on that show that we rotated the comics out and we would usually give them part on the show like they get a fun guest part show and then we bring in a new comic and I remember talking to Mike and we gave him his guest star part he played uh, a gay boyfriend of Michael Boatman on the show but then he came and talked to me and he was always so funny and clever and lovely as a guy yeah you know? he's a great guy and he said uh, hey I would much rather write an episode of the show than you know the guest spot. We gave him the guest spot, anyways, and that was Mike Royce's first writing gig. It was a spec episode of Spin City, and what fascinated me by it was I saw the other staff writers and story editors when they got his draft. Um, they're all lovely people, but they immediately said, "Uh oh, the warm-up comics draft is better than mine." <laughs> <laughs> and so it was so cool for me. For I don't think it's a mentor situation, but Kevin can talk about it that Kevin and Mike kind of developed a relationship and not only did enlisted together, even though it's Kevin's show, I know he worked with uh Mike, but I think you guys did big together. We too, did
3: big together we? too. Yeah. yeah.
0: And he's such a lovely guy. He's wonderful. And yeah. he's the type of guy that both Kevin and I need in our lives because I think that we're very similar and Mike has this kind of inner he is a Buddhist. He's got this inner peace. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh never getting too high or too low type of vibe. Yeah. But it was cool to be both involved in his first gig. And then see him and Kevin have a partnership that everybody in town knows is uh, you I mean,
3: created. Look what you created! Look at yeah, yeah, all these people yeah, yeah. you've spent out of the world. Hey, it's you're amazing! The, you're man. doing the same thing, though, Jeez. man.
0: But I wish that people heard more about you know. There's a tremendous amount of uh, men and women who. Mentor people out here and, and get them into what is a very broken and trying system, and all the people that I like to work with and hang out with all have great stories about who uh, uh, helped them get in the door. You know, and I always think about it. My yeah. mentor is this guy Gary Goldberg, and he passed away fairly recently. He was a really great guy, and you know he's not the person you hear the stories about, even though he started the daycare program at Paramount. You know, owns an all girls school that his he and his wife were devoted to single sex education for young women. There's a, a bazillion great stories like that, uh, so don't be scared off by all the bad stories.
3: It's so true. I mean, w- another piece of the advice I got early on that has borne out is that the good. P- if you if you stay out here and stick with it, you'll make it. And also that the good people find each other and they gravitate towards each other because life is just too short to. To, to work under those people like Bill's talking about. And, I mean, it's funny because, I like, I can't name names even though it's like, let's do it. You know, especially when you see these, gl- you know, glowing articles written about people and they're like, that person is a goddamn monster. I'll tell you something, to,
0: uh, I'll tell you something to look out for. This is a cool thing that I don't think neophyte writers know. All right?
3: So... Neophyte's and, the guy from The Matrix? That's that, a, that, yeah, that's yeah, yeah.
0: For... Well, it's my favorite type of fight. <laughs> 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 So I'm going to give you a a secret, which is every creator of a show, especially the first year, takes every single episode that any of the people, no matter how talented they are on the staff, writes and takes it home and rewrites it. Partially because you're protective of your own vision, partially because you want everything to sound like, especially the first year, that it's out of the same voice, and partially because all showrunners, male, female, big, little, are control freaks, but we all do it. We all have the rights to then put our name on that script as if we wrote it with the young writer because we most likely outlined it with them and did a rewrite of it and helped them and gave them notes on their draft. Kevin can speak to this too. If I do that, if I if I have a new show and I'm usually under a deal, which pays me the same amount of money no matter how much, how many scripts I write. If I put my name on a script, I'm doing it because of my ego and because of vanity. And all I'm doing is making sure that that young writer gets paid 50% yeah. as much And people don't think he or she did the script on their own. So that's a good thing to look out for because, uh, sure, there's exceptions that prove the rule, I'm sure, of of nice, kind people that literally say, hey, I want a six-person staff. I'm going to go write every episode. But most of the time when you see somebody that's like, hey, why is this person's name on every single script? It's because they're legally allowed to do it, and I don't think they're good bosses.
3: No, I totally agree with you. And it's it's, it's, it's like – look, it's no – It's no secret that we're all insecure to some level. Look, it's taken me 41 years to get to a level of confidence that I feel like I can show someone material and go, I think this is pretty good, you know? Let me hear your ideas. Let's work together. Like, that's not, for me at least, that was not an intrinsic thing. I was a shy kid growing up. You know, I I, I still was a shy kid getting into college and stuff. And then the idea of just showing people even material when I first got out here was terrifying to me. It's like I have all these scripts locked in a drawer doing nothing because I'm like, what if somebody hates me? It's hard to get to that point. So... When you do find a level of success when you're running a show, when it's like your name, you know, created by Bill Lawrence, created by Kevin Beagle, created by like, you know, whatever, it's a, it's a huge ego boost. It's amazing. That should be enough for you. You don't have to just go and then say, yeah, uh, like Bill said, I'm going to throw my name on every single one of these things because you're doing a disservice. Like maybe people out there in TV world think, wow, look at this auteur. It's genius. You're you're making the people that you have to work around and work with probably pretty miserable. and and people in this town like aren't unless you are the most brilliant of brilliant well there's whatever. exceptions Some of the, with the streaming yeah. shows nowadays and sure. short orders there's people that go I'm going to go yeah. write
0: my 8 or 9 or 10 episode series but if you see a network show that's doing 24 episodes um, one that, that gentleman yeah. or woman did not no. uh, and usually guys by the way that do this really? yeah um, <laughs> did not write every episode themselves and there's okay? one, there's one thing
3: I would love for any TV critics and, and, and people like TV out there too it's like a, a here's a, a Lesson to learn that it's almost like if you were, and I always make it, it's like akin to if I was uh, reporting on baseball and didn't understand how baseball worked. So I'd be like, that dude hit the bat and hit it so far and ran around the little square thingies. Like, you need to know how the business works. Nine times out of ten, if you're watching a sitcom and someone's names on it, the staff work together to write that sitcom. Like the idea of total ownership from some from from the writer of the show. These things are created by a group, especially of people. on
0: room shows. Here. Yeah, you know, right I,
3: you know what's a crazy thing that the, a little flip of this for me was. I remember because I had that at like, like enlisted. Right was how many staff personal. was on that show? That was I think like. Ten. I think 10 people. That uh-huh. was
0: a show. It's very personal. Kevin, it was about uh, astronauts in Florida.
3: It was. It was about astronauts going to a fake space camp in Florida, <laughs> and there was an evil German who would just by blow smoke way, in your face and go, your dreams are stupid. Uh,
0: how are you yeah. not How are you not going to write oh, that's the comic. sitcom fake uh, yeah. space camp? <laughs> of just By the way, just a bunch of poor kids whose parents shell out 250 bucks, and they're just in some guy's backyard. Oh, and
3: know? then then if that's a movie, then those kids actually have to do Then they have to actually fly oh, a yeah, space yeah, shuttle yeah. at a certain they, point. they without like, a doubt. Oh, we've been to fake space camp. But uh, you, your heart still says you can do it. Without a doubt. Um, but I remember when I enlisted. The first, and it was really personal because it was not just about my family, about the military. It was about some, some medical stuff I went through. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. I got, it was that I very much had my hands kind of uh, gripping the wheel very tightly. To the point, I think, early on. And Mike Mike Royce, who was like a savior on that thing, uh, will tell you. I was like, like early on kind of like icing people out and saying, I got this. I got this. I got this. And then finally the thing I think that helped me realize – that I can put my shoulders down and, and and trust people and know at the end of the day, I can make the shot to let's change what's written. Let's do this. I'm, I I insist on being on set almost at all times because I think that's where it's most important. Like I oversee all the scripts. So like that was most important was we had a scene that would shoot the next day. And Mike and I were on set and the scene didn't work. And I was like, oh, shit, you know what? OK, writers, here's the parameters of the scene. It's page and a half. Take a whack at it. And let me see what you got. Three hours later, pages come back. And they were so damn funny and so they were, they were wonderful and I felt like and I went back to the room ran back to the room like you guys this is fucking great we're gonna change two things you you did it and letting them it was almost like letting them know that I, I could trust them to do something like that made my life so much easier. Because then again, sure, once you get into editing and once you get on set, let's tweak this line, tweak that line. It's just like, a, it's, it's a wonderful feeling. Like, at some point, I think I personally just had to learn to, like, let go of certain things because it would just make me goddamn mad. Well, that
0: was also time. the day, if I remember, that you first acknowledged that you never wanted to write again because of how much you It's hate. true.
3: Other people can do this? <laughs> I don't have to say everything? This is amazing. <laughs> of the million things Bill taught me, and this is something I've seen, and I, I will never name names, this is something that Bill drew. Drilled in every single season at the beginning of the season. To do that, to have a faith in a staff like that you have to let the staff know what kind of show they're writing for and who they're writing for because something that it's going to sound very egocentric and maybe it is but it's the truth your job is and bill said that taught me this your job as a writer on somebody's show is not always to write what you thinks the funniest or the best your job is to draft off of what the showrunner believes is the vision of that show and his or her personal vision of where this thing's going you can have massive disagreements you can argue for your joke whatever but at the end of the day it can't be decision by committee it's got to be that decision by that that one person because otherwise if everything is decision by committee non-stop 24-7 you're going to end up with a mishmash and if you can follow that lead of the showrunner and of course go you end up you get your own personal stuff in there that's fine and it, it should be that way but if you can kind of let a staff know where you're coming from and this starts from day one it's like okay i remember i still do this on shows but bill taught me day one first week how are we going to do this do you jump into story hell no do you jump into arcs no what do you start talking about you start talking about the characters you spend a week talking about each character what their attributes are, what their dreams are who they are what how they interact with each other like lay the groundwork what kind of bigger stories then do we want to tell like in the second week do we want to do big arcs here okay that sounds cool okay now everyone and I, this is well, this is one of the best things and bill still staffs are shocked when i say let's do this i'm like no this is a scrub style i'm not going to come in with 10 stories that we're going to do for the year i'm going to go each one of you now after 2 weeks of work you guys know who these characters are you know where how i believe and you've all contributed to like creating these characters with me uh and we did this together come up with five of amazing stories that you think would be great for these guys. Come in next week and then it's like it's like a story rodeo. That's it's so fun. fun. Yeah. And you just sit around for a couple of days and everyone throws out stories and they put the stories on the board. So you end up with like 300 stories. And people riff on each and other. And they riff so. on stuff and it's like, this could be this, this could be this, this could be this. We did it on Scrubs. It was wonderful. And then it's like, okay, you guys we're going to, again, this is, it's like you're leading, but leading with the team. Okay. Uh, everyone pick their favorite 10. Come in next week and we'll do it. And you will, you will be shocked by how many people have the same Favorite. Six know the show. Stories. Everybody, every at least five or six of them are everybody's list. Everyone's list. And and, then, and
0: and when you get to the end of your order, you'd be shocked. Like when you're like, oh, we don't have a story for next week, and you go back to that and you see like what came in eleventh and twelfth, and everybody's like, oh, these are that's pretty
3: good that's a pretty good one.
0: Uh, the one thing I'll say about TV writing, and it's why I think it, it, Kevin ended up there, even though I'm sure he could have been a screenwriter or a novelist or a, um, a space camp owner. <laughs> yeah.
3: Come on down to Kevin space camp. Everyone gets to ride the rocket for free. <laughs> Pizza's on
0: Tuesdays. <laughs> uh, it's so, so almost true is you gotta love the uh, the room and the collaborative process of T V look I'm not great at being alone as an only child. And I like having people around. The room you know, collaboration and the the the, the room written shows, I mean I, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy the different personalities, the you know, the different backgrounds, hearing about everybody's lives, getting to know people on a level that you usually only get to know your friends. The danger of it is the people whose shows don't work surround themselves with yes people and really just want other people to sit around and listen to them speak. What also doesn't work is what Kevin was alluding to is a show with no leadership and no vision that is, uh, hey, it's going to be run by committee. But what does work is a show that starts with a very singular and personal viewpoint. And my favorite shows all have that. You know, They all, they all, to uh, a few exceptions, are shows that people recognize Recognize it when the creator is not that one season when the creator has gone or when they're off doing something else and everybody senses it, you know, but those shows are still incredibly collaborative. So it's this weird tightrope of being able to go, hey, the voice of the show is mine. It sounds like this. It works like this. But man, I'm going to empower and encourage you all. Um, not only have your own vision, you know, for what an episode would be like, but how it would look, what the jokes would be, what the set pieces would be, how it would be directed.
3: This is something that I learned from Bill. Like the, in Scrubs, like we would be sitting in the big room together and throwing ideas up there and, and collaborating. And you see the screens up there and you're writing jokes and it's like if someone's joke's terrible, you know, we can goof off, goof about it and something is great the whole room laughs. Like, you gotta have that confidence that you can all work together but also let everyone knows and that you know that the buck's gonna stop with you at a certain point.
0: Here's the staff hints for young people that listen to this stuff. Don't pitch other people's jokes. Like, meaning if somebody says a joke and the showrunner doesn't hear it and then you say it, it and it goes in, which is a uh, a very specific thing that often happens it's okay to do that as long as you credit the other person yes um, don't constantly harp on why something doesn't work unless you have an idea on how to fix it because one of the rules of show running is you say what you're doing uh, is either how you're shooting something, how you're writing a story with 100% confidence. And then if you do it and it sucks and it doesn't work, then the next day you make a new decision with 100% confidence and you just got to go with it. And then the third one, if you feel, especially when you're on someone else's staff, if you feel the train moving in a positive direction, get on the train. Yeah. Don't go back to the other thing and pitching. Well, what about this? What about that? Uh, those are my uh, biggest pieces of advice as far as working within
3: groups. Those are great. And you know, the one, and one thing, uh, if, you're, if you're fortunate enough to get to the point where you're running shows, and this is Bill taught me too. And I, I've had, the number of times people have been like, oh my gosh, I've never gotten this before is amazing. If you're shooting the pilot, if you're into episodes, write the crew. Write everybody. Send out a nice long email, just saying I'm thinking about you. Thank you for working so hard. Set the template early on. I remember, with the last thing I did, I'm not supposed to talk about because it it's secret and everyone knows what it is. Uh, I so sent this, an email. Squirrel uh, the the Marvel thing. Yeah, I sent an email out to everybody and uh, before we started shooting, and I said, here's how I want everyone to treat each other. We're so fortunate and lucky to do this job. We are going to be respectful. If anybody, uh, one, two things I cannot stand is that if anyone uh, takes advantage of someone in a position below them or pulls power plays, I won't put up with that. Uh, I had a thing in there because I have a bug up my butt about it. I was like, if, any, if there's any uh, military people or veterans who visit the set, they're to be treated like kings or queens, like n- no questions asked. Uh, just like this long thing of like and how lucky No one are... can question me when I say I love <laughs> That's writing. That's right. <laughs> I love writing. But just like—
0: just Don't even—yeah, like, even, just nod and go, we know, Kevin. We know like, how lead, much you love writing.
3: Just like lead with <laughs> kindness, but also like put out there the kind of vibe you want to have. I'm not, I've, the number of people that came up to me that uh, and said, I, no one's ever written me, written us and talked to us and sent a note like that and set the tone, like cause I just came off this horrible shoot or was just abusive and whatnot, like do that. Like everyone is there to build the same thing. And that's something I learned from Bill. It's like there's no, there should be no wall between different departments uh, and different groups.
0: You didn't learn that from me. You were always that guy. No,
3: it's very nice of you to say, but you, you would do that, a, dude. Uh, you, uh, that, yeah,
0: but you were going to be a kind guy regardless.
3: Bill, what do you think the future of TV looks like?
0: It's really interesting. A lot of people are talking about the future of TV. I think the coolest thing to start with is I, I often run into writers that are nervous because they see you know, shrinking markets or smaller outlets that you know do kind of different payment situations. The one thing I will tell you is that I have no fear for content creators, okay? More than ever, content is king. We still, I mean, there are... Exceptions, but we still don't live in a world that unbelievably flawless, you know, great pieces of produced scripted content don't get purchased, seen, or put on. You know, I've looked at my own stuff. And, and don't get me wrong. You, you are in a weird competitive world now that you might make something with potential. Uh, I felt like I've done this before and it doesn't get over the hump. But I don't think the, the... There's exceptions, but I don't think the world is littered with like, oh my God, this is such an amazing show that no one decided to put on anywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just it just doesn't, doesn't happen. So to me, uh, that's a positive. As far as the future of TV, I do not think... The, the changes uh, – they're big changes, but it's still – maybe because I love the business so much, I think we're 10 years – or so removed now from people saying how the internet and streaming was going to dominate and take over everything and it is huge now and they are bigger outlets but the place to still make the most money if you're into commerce and there's nothing wrong with that is network television so it's so weird that it was dead but it's really not dead you know it's like
3: turning around a cruise ship I think you're right it's it's hard it's, if I knew where TV was going I'd, I'd, I'd be making a gazillion dollars a day um, um, and I think it's, it's I hard. so badly wanted to
0: say that you're going to watch it on your new TV sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd
3: be amazing. That you wear. <laughs> Actually, right. they're in my context yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's going to be here in 50 years, whatever, okay. 20
0: years. Um, I will tell you, it's oh, my last interjection, that my son... Middle son was watching Spin City online, and he goes, uh, "Hey, was this ever on TV?" And I'm like, <laughs> "That's amazing! Yeah, dude. You think I made that in my garage? Like, I got like Mike Fox and all these people to. Keep... Yeah, it was on television, That's man. <laughs> it so it hurt my heart a little bit. <laughs> hey, were these hundred bazillion episodes ever on television? It's gonna nah. be.
3: It's gonna be so weird to see if it. I'm not sure it's going to end the the idea of the uh, thing you know cuz right, like Bill was saying a couple years ago it was network TV's dead everything is going to streaming stuff and now it's that uh well, it's not quite streaming exactly it's more like there's going to be different apps for different things so now you can use this app and just watch shows that are about this from and it, and it's I think that's going to happen a lot too where it's going to be like the DC is going to have their specific app of DC shows and you know other places I think network TV is still going to be very hungry for like Bill said, shows that fit their brand. I think the tough thing there, though, is a lot of places, and a lot of the places that aren't doing great, they, if they're they not sure of what their brand is. Yeah, and a good it goes point, all right? over the place. So it's like, and sometimes someone, and it wasn't me who said this, made this point, um, They sometimes they like they fight their brand. They fight the kind of channel that they are. You're
0: doomed in television that. whenever a network says, hey, we want to do something atypical from what's working on our I channel know, or station. I know, because
3: it's cool. Because well, it's we, grabber, so what we're yeah. going
0: to do is we're going to put on this, and we're not going to really promote it a lot, and It's going to be over in six episodes. (laughs) I'll tell you the one thing that I found executives, agents, writers, producers, et cetera, are all surprised has not changed is the entire concept of TV schedule. And that's the one thing I see and I allow this, because my children, I have uh, 11, no, I have three of them, are avid television watchers. Um, They don't watch TV based on any archaic network schedule. They have, uh, you know, Wednesday's not a huge homework night for Henry. That's when he likes to watch two episodes of The Flash. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, so the fact that somewhere there's still people going, should this be on at 8.30 or 9.30 when Yeah, for launch, I guess it matters to them in some archaic advertising formula, but it is not how... Anyone really of any economic strata seems to um, absorb content anymore, you know. And even when kids—I don't know if you do this at your house—even when my kids get that rare occasion, they get to watch TV while they're eating some crappy takeout because we were both lazy. They're not watching whatever's on the channels. I that only night. feed
3: my kids barbecue. Yeah. You uh, know that. Yeah. But my but my, <laughs> Feral kid, my kids are like, "Hey, yeah.
0: we want to watch these two episodes of The Flash. or We yeah. want to watch this movie. It's not what's on tonight at eight 30.
3: I can't tell you the number of meetings and writers uh, and material now that I have met and employed because I literally not from agents but from social media, like tw- writers that I've met via Twitter who have been like, "You're really funny. Hey, let's have, like, you want to meet for breakfast?" Like and try and like tried to hire those people or like I've seen your short you did on you know the little Vimeo videos you guys did. Those are great. Come on in and meet. Like that is such a wonderful place because guys like Bill and us, we're hungry well, and looking for that. Want it's to wonderful. You
0: movement back to my favorite part of Twitter was when it was um, uh, a 140-character joke-writing showcase. It was,
3: it was amazing. My favorite oh thing. my gosh, I mean, look at someone like Megan Hammer, who's I mean, like one of the funniest people in the world, uh, and like that was such a wonderful spotlight for her to go, look how funny I am, and now she's off to the races doing a million different things.
0: But the most interesting thing for me is a grander statement about Hollywood and it's when I met these two young women, I think that they felt like two kids that were probably, hopefully, having a beer, if not a coffee, somewhere together, and said, let's do a festival about television. <laughs> and uh, where should we do it? We I mean, could use my backyard and your mom's house. And uh, uh, and now, years later, it's one of the um, biggest TV festivals in America, and it, and it champions shows that I loved. And it's so impressive when you see young people uh, follow through and make something out of nothing. And it is the coolest thing about Hollywood and a thing I could talk about all day and I'll sum it up in a, uh, um, uh a wedding that I went to recently that randomly, and I'm not going to remember his name, which is going to make me seem like a bad person, but... Johan? Uh, sure, let's go with Johan. Okay. A great, nice young man came up to me, and he said, uh, hey, I was um, a PA on uh, Spin City. And you know, in my head, that doesn't mean that he's old, because in my head, I'm still very young, even though I'm not. And I said, oh, you know, um, it was, I hope I was a nice guy, because I was in my 20s on that show, and I was uh, hungover a lot. And he's like, no, 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 man, you're really nice and, and normal and supportive, of and I'm like, uh, oh, cool, cool. What are you doing now? He's like, oh, I'm the president of Nickelodeon. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Come on, yeah. that's amazing. i like,
0: and, I'm, and it was so cool because um, if you've been out here long enough, you get to see young people kind of realize their plans and their dreams. As often, you know, as we all hear the, you know, the big failure stories, you also get to pay witness to great success stories. And the ATX Festival is one of them. So it's really cool for me to have even uh, uh, been around for a
3: snippet of its inception i enjoyed the barbecue at atx that's been- <laughs> no i mean it re- that's is, so it still it started out feeling like two people who absolutely loved television wanted to just have tv people over and like well let's throw caution of the wind and see if anyone shows up and then bill and i and a bunch of other people at first year were like yeah this sounds fun because austin's one of the greatest cities in the world and somehow you guys have maintained that sense of it's fun and just people who genuinely love something you know a lot of the times you go to festivals whatever and it's a schmooze fest and whatnot ATX you go to ATX and it's like you go to that bar you have a beer I love that bar it's so much fun everyone just shoots the shit and it's just like you know you're sitting next to May Whitman on one side and I still have like oh my god I've got uh, Michael Jordan's phone number and all the Friday Night Lights phone number still on my phone because five years ago I was like I'm doing this military show would you ever want to be on it it's like sure now I'm like oh my god I've killed number on my phone like it's the greatest thing in the world and it But that's still that genuine sense of love for a craft. It's also. It's so inspiring and fun to be around.
0: It's an opportunity to connect with fans that aren't people standing around with 100 pictures for different actors to sign so they can go make money, but people that. Love TV as much and the same way that we all did when we were younger is kind of really cool to see it firsthand.
3: Yeah, I, I think my my specific favorite memory and forgive me, if this is very self indulgent was we showed the last three episodes of Enlisted uh, and uh, and one of the the Alamo draft us on Ritz on the Ritz sold out line you know totally filled with people. It's no secret that the last episode is very emotional and stuff and like we all did a and A afterwards and it was amazing to be with a group of unjaded. Enthusiastic people that just love TV and like were into the show and watched those three episodes because that last episode there was like I had to go and uh, the last part of the last episode I had to like write on my own because I was like this is too heavy and to see it play on the screen with everybody there and like you know everyone you know we bought a round of beer for everybody I will never forget that I'm like this is uh, it's actually the 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 ability to see people appreciate the work that this whole team of people made and that's credit to you guys because that wouldn't have happened without it without you so. That was that was amazing. Cool uh, pestle, go! So I'll tell fun. you
0: something else. I mean, look, don't just go because you're a TV fan. Kevin does most of his hiring there. It's true. So if you're yeah. looking for a TV job. Seriously, get down to that festival because Kevin, I mean, he usually, it's usually just a booth, but sometimes it's, if you see him there, uh-huh. okay, stop him. That's yeah.
3: how he likes it. Come up to me on the street. <laughs> the nice thing is I have, like I said, generic white boy face. So it's like, going to be some UT kid he, like, he oh, he Kevin to, who? Hey,
0: what? He talked about writer's assistants <laughs> earlier as a way in. Kevin always hires his writer's assistant by anybody that can find and reach him at his home phone. That's true.
3: Which is, i <laughs> no, never read your phone number.
1: The TV Campfire was produced by Kristen
2: Myers with music and editing by 5 Own Productions. This production was made possible by our wonderful partners, Madica Productions and the Forever Dog Podcast Network. Be sure to check out their other great series at foreverdogpodcast.com. Go to atxfestival.com for details on this and our other audio projects. You can also buy badges and join us at the festival June 7th through 10th in Austin. And you can watch the season finale of this podcast live. We hope to see you there.